The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. Importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo and help your organization move forward in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I can promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz, big word, decentralizing, decentralization, if you prefer. Uh, anybody remember Neil Sedaka's song, is Breaking Up is Hard to Do? Well, we're going to find out if it really is and why it might be a good idea. Let me get started. In the industrial age, Big businesses like railroads and electric power companies kept growing and growing and growing. Why? Because centralizing allowed them to deliver better services to their markets who were clamoring for this. Now today we're seeing a paradigm shift that's fueled by tech-enabled decentralization. There's that big word again. We've got innovations like 3D printing. We have the Internet of Things. Smart watches. Do you have yours yet? I saw them advertised all over Times Square in New York this weekend. We've got mobile technology. We've got even Tesla's standalone battery. It's supposed to be able to power an entire home or office all by itself. These are all allowing us to decouple from businesses. These are disruptions. They are scary or exciting, depending on which side of the decoupling you are. And guess what? They have vast implications for the future of every business. So the question on the table for our listeners who are global business people listening from over 250 countries, I know you're out there. We have to know, are you ready? And we'll help you figure that out. I have a panel of experts, two of whom are return guests here on SAP Radio. One is a newcomer, so let's get started. I'm pleased to welcome Frank Diana. He's a principal in business evolution at TCS. And Frank sent me the following quote from Fast Future Research, and I quote, The challenge is to rehearse the future and prepare for a range of possibilities. I didn't know we could rehearse the future, Frank. Welcome back, Frank Diana. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. Interesting quote, and what is Fast Future Research? It's a futures agency that has a number of futurists working with it and doing some great work. And the quote I've been using a lot lately, and it's resonating with folks um, for a number of reasons, but the biggest is because of the pace of change, this exponential progression that we're on, these number of disruptive scenarios are emerging, and they're converging, and they're creating a really uncertain world. And there's only one way for today's traditional business to survive, and that is to continually rehearse that future, uh, understand the range of possibilities they have, uh, and position themselves to play in that future as opposed to be disrupted by it. One of the things that I find in my discussions with folks is that the traditional company is challenged by this because speed, agility, experimental kinds of processes, not the strength of the traditional company. So a challenge, but uh, I think rehearsing is, uh, is what, what it's about. 
Very interesting. Frank, I'm seeing these companies looking over their shoulder, what you call traditional companies, and I'm thinking established, mature. I I think that's where we're going with this. Looking over their shoulders and saying, oh, there's that startup down the block. They're agile. They're fast. They're flexible. They can do it. What do we, what do we forget along the way of growing? Am I right that the newcomers are already doing this? And if they're smart, they'll stay that vital, Frank? Yep. And what are the characteristics that enable them to do it? And how how do traditional businesses mimic that? There you go. So they're learning what they used to be before they were who they are. Well, that takes a lot of rehearsal, I guess. Thank you, Frank. Pleasure to have you back on the show. Appreciate your being with us. And let's welcome a newcomer to SAP Radio. It's Gray Scott. He is a futurist, a techno-philosopher, I have to know what that is, and an emerging technology expert. And Gray sent me the following quote from Terrence McKenna. Those of you who haven't heard of McKenna, he's an American esoteric philosopher, psychonaut, ethnobotanist, lecturer and author who had a very, very short life, born in 46 and passed away in 2000. And here's what everybody might know a little more about him. He was called the Timothy Leary of the 90s. We'll leave it at that. Here's the quote from Terrence McKenna. Nothing comes unannounced, but many can miss the announcement. Welcome, Gray Scott. How are you today? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Delighted. Talk to me. Very interesting quote. Who's missing the announcement? I hope everybody who's listening to the show today is getting the announcement, but who is missing it, Gray? Talk to me. Well, it's interesting. That that quote was actually based off of a story that Terrence told many times where he was sitting in his yard looking out of a tree, and there was a vine growing around the base of the tree, but the vine wouldn't grow out on this, this limb hanging off on the side. And I think what happened in the story was that you know, he sat watching this thinking, maybe I should go out there and wrap that vine around the limb, you know, to help this process out. Suddenly, he's sitting there one day, and the limb breaks off and falls. So what he realized was that nature itself understood that this branch was weak and that, it, that, that this was about to break off. And so we tend to, in business and in our personal lives, we, we, we tend to try to control the way that things are unfolding. But decentralization is going to change all of that. The people who are getting it are the startups, but these are the people that are saying, okay, where are the disruptive moments? Where are the disruptive paths that we can, that we can sort of interject our new startups into? And so the people that are getting it are these young startup companies. So we're agreeing with Frank that it's the startups. If, if, Gray, looking back over your shoulder, I know you're a, you look like you're a very young guy. Do you think that the mature companies Frank was talking about with traditional businesses, do you think that without too much pain, they can dial back to their younger days of, let's say, being flexible and foolish and, and experimental. Do you think it's doable or is it just going to be too much work and too much expense and too much pain? No, I actually have been saying quite often recently that every company in the future is going to be a tech company. That's just the, the, the way that this thing is evolving. And I, I don't think that it's going to be difficult if people can sort of relax into breaking down this, this old paradigm, right? I mean, we're so used to the way that business schools sort of teach us to do business, but that's not how business is done today. I mean, people are making things in their garage. The maker movement is changing the world as we know it. Yes, it is. We'll talk a little more about the maker movement when we get farther into the show. Gray, thank you so much for joining us. I don't think I've ever met a uh, – let me just ask you one question. What is a psychonaut? I have to know. Well, I think Terrence was sort of described that way because he was experimenting with indigenous medicines like ayahuasca and uh, uh, mushrooms. Uh, but he discovered a lot of uh, 
sort of natural indigenous information. Uh, that information is coded all around us. And I think that's what a lot of the younger disruptive startups are starting to realize is that there are processes in nature, the coding of the natural universe, that if you can tap into that, you can see how the natural evolutionary process works. And if we can interject that into business practices, mm-hmm. I mean, look, evolution has been around for millions and millions of years. So, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel here, right? Agree. Thank you very much, Greg. Looking forward to a lot more from you during the show. And let me bring on our third panelist, who is also, like Frank Diana, no stranger to SAP Radio. It's Timo Elliott. He's a senior director and global innovation evangelist for SAP. And Timo has sent me a very interesting quote from Ronald Reagan, the 40th U.S. president from 1980. I have to keep saying 19 because people might not know. 1981 to 1989, who interestingly enough lived till 2004. So he outlived um, Terrence McKenna. Very interesting. And uh, here's the quote from Reagan. Status quo is, you know, Latin for the mess we're in. Love the quote. Timo Elliott, welcome back. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Good morning, Bonnie. Good morning. Thanks for joining. Where are you calling from today, Timo? I am calling from Paris, France, where it's a beautiful sunny day. And what time is it in Paris, France? It is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, thank you. Almost time for that first sip of something delicious, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. So, Timo, talk to me. Interesting quote from Reagan. I didn't know he said something with that much of a sense of humor. Maybe I missed that part of, of his presidency. So so talk to me. Why did you pick this quote for today's topic, please? I thought it was a great quote to bring things back down to earth. Ronald Reagan was obviously the opposite of a techno-philosopher. Um, and what I liked about this quote is that it, I think it feels very real. When we're looking at the barriers to innovation in most organizations, it's not a lack of technology. We've got plenty of that. It's not even lack of inspiration or innovation. People can imagine what they'd like to do. The problem is they look around them and go, oh, what a mess. It's the complexity of the organizations and the structures we have today that are getting in the way of most companies actually being able to innovate. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Timo. And let's go back to Frank Diana. Frank, I asked Timo where he's calling from. Where are you today right now? I'm in central New Jersey. Okay. Well, I'm on Long Island, uh, north shore of Long Island, so we're almost neighbors today. I know what the weather is here. I'm assuming it's sunny and blue skies there. At least I hope it is. And if not, Frank, I'll send it over across the border. So, Frank, <laughs> Diana, you know, <laughs> and you understanding New York and New Jersey, you know what I mean. Okay, Frank, Diana, what's in your cup right now? What are you drinking? And if it's not that interesting, what's your favorite something or what are you planning to drink after the show? Well, it's not very interesting since it's really lemon water. Uh, And after the show, maybe in several hours, I'm going to have some homemade Italian wine. Oh, I think that's a first on about 500 radio shows I've done for SAP Game Changers. What kind of Italian wine and how long ago were the grapes stomped? Or or just give us a little tidbit of what your process is. Well, this specific batch was made in October. I didn't make it. My uh, brother-in-law made it. My dad made it as I was growing up for uh, many, many years, so very accustomed to the process, but it is a very time-consuming process, and unfortunately, I don't have that kind of time. So I beg and borrow from family, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's still very good. And, and does it have a name, a flavor? Is it a particular, uh, particular grape? Give me a little more information. Yeah, it's a mix of grapes, it, a co- combination of reds and whites. It's interesting what, what you can play with when you make your own wine. And this one happens to be my brother-in-law, and he calls it Vinny's Vintage. 
Vinny's Vintage. I love it. Yo, Vinny. Okay. I'm thinking of my cousin, Vinny. The mo- I'm sorry. I just adored that movie. So many. I'm really dating myself here. What can I tell you? Maybe I was dating myself at the time. Thank you, Frank, Diana. Enjoy when it's time for the wine. What did they, what's the, there's a famous wine company that says no wine. Uh, we will not sell any wine till its time has come. Well, after the show, the time will come. Gray Scott, where are you today? What are you drinking? Tell me something fascinating about Gray Scott. So I'm based in New York City, and I'm drinking co- I'm drinking coffee with almond milk, extra virgin, organic coconut oil, and 650 milligrams of choline. Whoa! What was that last <laughs> word? Co- co- spell it for me, for goodness sake. What is that? So, so choline is C-H-O-L-I-N-E, and it supports nerve function. I usually take it with coffee in the morning, you know, before I do my writing or if I'm doing an interview, and it's... It, you know, this, the, the idea that it supports brain function is, is primarily why I take it. Um, and, of course, the almond milk, I, I don't drink milk, so I, I use the substitute almond milk. And uh, the organic coconut is a sweetener. So, Very interesting. And the virgin coconut oil, where do you find that? I use coconut oil that comes in a jar. It's like, I hate to say, but it looks like thick white wax. And I melt mm-hmm. it and I put it in special quinoa Waffles I make on Sunday with walnuts that's and raisins exact, and same thing. That's exactly what I use, yeah. yeah. Very interesting, very interesting. It's also a good thickener if you like to dip your fresh fruit in chocolate. Coconut oil just gives it that little bit of hardening instead of the old-fashioned paraffin. But I'm giving away my baking recipe secrets here, so <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Thank you, Gray. Pleasure to have you. Timo Elliott in Paris, what are you drinking? Well, I guess you could call it Le Chateau de Paris, which sounds better than what it is. It's uh, <laughs> Paris tap water. Ah, low, yes, low. Uh, uh, Timo, I have to tell you, I, I wandered into Times Square in New York this weekend looking for a Broadway show to go to, and my top three were already sold out. And I ended up, to my great delight, seeing Gigi a remake of Gigi, and they've changed the story quite a bit, but it was at the Neil Simon Theater on West West 52nd Street, and it was absolutely delightful how they tried to recreate Paris from way back when. They even had some can-can girls and a lot of singing, a lot of dancing. You remember the the story of Gigi, don't you, Timo, or do you? I do, and Paris is still a beautiful city. There you go. I, I wish Hermione Gingold and Leslie Caron or Audrey Hepburn and uh, Maurice Chevalier, of course, had been in the show, but that's way too far back for most people. But the songs were still memorable, and I was singing along very quietly, so it was delightful. It made me think of Paris. We have a great panel here today. Our topic is, well, we've been talking about drinking. We're going to talk about eating now. Eating disruption for lunch, digesting decentralization. And one of the big questions on the table is, are established mature companies able to dial back, figure out how to become flexible and vital and understanding that decoupling from business is the wave of the future and it may be already here. Exciting and scary disruptions are already part of our techno world. I'm speaking today with Frank Diana from C- TCS, Gray Scott, a futurist. I don't think we've ever had a, well, we've had one or two futurists on. I take that back. One of our few futurists on the show and Timo Elliott at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. 
Shout out to Brad Borkin, the sponsor of this series. Brad, we're up to episode number nine, and I'm hoping you're going to renew. Again, our topic today is eating disruption for lunch, digesting decentralization, and it's going to taste good by the time we're done with it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And Frank Diana has the honors of helping me kick off the roundtable after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and extensive business networks and complex supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Digital World with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital World with Game Changers. We are, and I have to do a shout out to all of our very energetic tweeters today. We've got Anya Yereski. Anya, thank you. Dean Pappas, haven't seen you in a while. Glad to have you. Kevin Mulcahy, welcome, and thanks for tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. We've got TCS underscore SAP Alliance. That's TCS underscore SAP is their handle. Frank Diana, he's talking, walking, tweeting, and on the radio at the same time. And, of course, our series sponsor, Brad Borkin at B-B-O-R-K-A-N, if you're looking for his handle. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and our topic today is eating disruption for lunch, digesting decentralization. Frank Diane at TCS, you're going to help me kick off the roundtable. And let's start with this topic. I'm looking at your notes, Frank, and you say disruption on a massive scale is likely and it will be continuous with no period of stabilization. This lack of stabilization makes the transformative period different from previous ones. So why don't you give us a little historical look back. Frank, please start. Great. Uh, Well, first... I find that the word disruption sometimes works against us because we have a specific definition of the word and a way of thinking about disruption, but I think what's coming has no precedence. So it's difficult sometimes when folks focus on that word as opposed to this massive change that's coming. So that's one. Uh, and if you look back in time, the previous transformative periods, like the two past industrial revolutions, uh, it was disruptive, mind you, but then there were decades uh, of stabilization that followed, and, and companies had the ability to retrench to leverage the disruption for good or for value as opposed to be uh, blown away by it. But this period uh, promises to be anything but stable. So I think the major difference between this transformative period in the past is the pace of change, the exponential progression of change, and the fact that there is no period for companies to really stabilize, retrench, leverage, leverage the power of disruption for good. And so that really challenges companies, much like we said before, 
to really get to this place of agility, responsiveness, flexibility, speed, all the things that startups really exhibit. But we're weighed down by the cultures, the legacies of, of our traditional businesses, and so it makes it tough. But I think the, the key thing there is it's massive in scale what's coming, uh, and companies are not prepared for it. So that goes to my question in my opening, Frank, when I said to businesses addressing our audience, it's scary or exciting or both. Are you ready? So you're saying they're not ready. Who is this keeping awake at night specifically, Frank, before I bring in Gray and Timo into the conversation? Is it the CEO, the CFO, the CIO, everybody who has the letter C on the back of their chair at the at the big executive table? Who's worried about this? Or don't they even get it yet? Yeah, I, I think there's a level of don't, don't get it yet. I mean, uh, there's a mm. sense of worry. But the bigger challenge I find is that, again, if you, if you think back at the last 20 years, a lot of executives still feel like, well, the Internet was supposed to disrupt and I'm still here, right? So the, the skepticism in terms of what the scale of this change looks like, I still find uh, permeates the C-suite. And so there is, a, a one, a level of urgency that needs to be driven, and two, an acceptance that this is unlike any period we've seen before. Interesting. Uh, Dean Pappas, I just mentioned him. It's D-E-A-N-P-A-P-P-A-S underscore the numeral two. That's his handle. Is quoting a Wall Street Journal article about Zappos trying the no-org structure. And the question is, decentralization run amok? It's public-facing, so I'm allowed to say that. You can check out, if you're on Twitter, go to hashtag SAP Radio, and you can see Dean's tweet with a picture of a lot of ties with names on them. I'm not sure what that is, but I'll have time to look after the show. Gray Scott, future Talk to me. Thoughts about what Frank said. Agree, disagree? Well, I do agree that this is, we're about to enter an age of true decentralization where automation, you know, robots are taking over jobs. These are the kind of disruptions that are going to change the paradigm of what it means to have a job, have a company, how we live our lives. All of these things are going to change dramatically. And we've never really seen anything like this before. People talk about the industrial age but that was a very different thing. We're talking now about code. Now think about this. We're talking about code that can be sent wirelessly through the air that can automate a robot anywhere in the world. Hmm. That is very different than the last industrial age that we went through. This is a very different process. I mean, today we have 3D printers that can print circuit boards, clothing, and chocolate. I mean... (laughs) The world, as we know, it is about to change, and I think I, I do agree. We are in a sense of denial right now, and mm-hmm. it's not just corporations, governments as well. I mean, the next president, whoever the next president is, they're going to have to face decentralization as a real issue. Very interesting, Gray. Do you think this opens the the, the floodgates for new companies to come in, more and more entrepreneurs decentralizing, not just in terms of what the big companies are doing, but in terms of the landscape for entrepreneurs to come in and say, "There's a gap. I'm ready to fill it, and I will stay flexible and vital and agile and experimental." Uh, do you think that a lot of people are going to open their eyes wide open and say, "Ah, now's the time," or do you think everybody's going to say, "I don't know, too much unstable conditions"? What, what's your thought? Somewhere right now, someone is creating the disruptive technology that's going to change everything. We don't know about it right now because they haven't released their Kickstarter, (laughs) but somewhere, (laughs) some some kid somewhere in his bedroom or in his basement is creating the next robot that will be the home care robot, right? I mean, these are the kind of disruptions that we're talking about. We're, We're talking about kids that can create, you know, machines 
that take over fast food restaurants, machines that can be uh, take care of our elderly. I mean, these are the kinds of disruptive technologies that we're going to see. Now, the other thing, and I said this in the intro, every company in the future is going to be a tech company. And I know that people are shaking their heads mm-hmm. right now, but let me say this. Even if you're baking cookies, if cookies is your business, where do you put the pictures of those cookies and how do you take the pictures of those cookie, cookies? You digitize those pictures through your iPhone or whatever, and you put mm-hmm. those on social media, which is also a digital technological platform. So every business should, at this point, understand that it is a, a technology business. And so I think if people can sort of wrap their heads around this, this technological age that we're moving into, they will survive. Thank you. So there's some optimism in there. I like that. A little bit of sunshine at the end of uh, maybe a, a cloudy or stormy sky. Timo Elliott, a lot has been shared by Frank Diana and Grace Scott. I'd love to have your thoughts. So I completely agree that we're going through an unprecedented level of disruption. For me, what's interesting is that I think companies have taken on board the notion that they have to be able to disrupt and accept disruption in their industry as new technologies come along. And I think that they're relatively satisfied with what they do. What I think they don't realize yet is that some of these decentralizations are really meaning new competitors completely outside traditional industry boundaries. I think they're used to their existing competitors trying to use new technology to compete better. And they think they've got a handle on that. But now we're seeing things like uh, Tesla, uh, electric car company that's just introduced home battery solutions that might well take revenue away from electricity companies. The latest competitors to car companies are software companies like Google. And you've got people like bank, uh, Facebook taking business away from banks by offering the ability to transfer money from one user to another. I think that level of disruption is something that companies are not yet used to. Timo, I call this the wild, wild west. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is old enough to remember that, but it's just when everybody's out there doing whatever they want. But now it's it's sparks of brilliance. And, and as uh, Grace Scott was saying, some kid in his bedroom is developing a robot or some kind of technology that's going to take over something we didn't even know needed taking over, but it might be better because of it. Thank you, Timo. I'm going to go back to Frank Diana. We've had a lot of thoughts since you opened this topic. What do you think, Frank? Anything you want to add? Anything you'd like to challenge with your co-panelists? Well, I do want to add or build upon something that Timo just said, because I think it's very mm-hmm. critical uh, and could be lost, uh, is the notion that the boundaries between industries are blurring. And I think you can use that phrase, uh, blurring of the boundaries, for just about anything today. So if you think about the, the uh, industry structures, if you think about the vertical orientation of the world for the last 200-plus years and the shift from that sort of centralization, command control uh, structure to the decentralized structures, it really speaks to the fact that there really is a blurring of any boundary. And so what is the future industry? I mean, what, what industry are you in uh, today if you think about your, your company and what you do? Uh, and, and I really do think that we're seeing a shift from the vertical orientation to a horizontal orientation that is really more ecosystem-oriented and less value-chain-oriented. Interesting. Gray or Timo, any comments on what Frank just added before I move in a different direction? Anybody? Well, well I, I think uh, disruption has... Disruption has to be a core competence. It obviously has to be something that companies absolutely focus on 
focusing on what they're trying to do for their customers, but focusing on disruption as a core competence that's going to help them differentiate in the future. Gray, I heard you. Go ahead. Yeah, so what I was going to add to this is that to help people really understand what we're talking about here on a, on a general level is I've said before that when 3D printers become ubiquitous and when those 3D printers can print other 3D printers, do you understand? Like that mm-hmm. at that point, the game is completely changed. When, when a community can have a 3D printer that can print another 3D printer, then why do you need centralization? I mean, that decentralizes the entire market at that point. You can use that 3D printer to print another one, and those people can use the, that printer to print tools, food, anything. Interesting. I want to know if anybody on this call has ever had chocolate printed by a 3D printer. I, I, I know have. it's out there. You have? <laughs> I, at CES last year, they were giving out uh, 3D systems, was, was printing. Uh, There's a company called ChefJet, and they print cakes. You, w- you wouldn't believe it. The cakes are geometric, like nothing that you could bake. Um, and they were printing out little chocolates, and we ate them. <laughs> it was great. And what did they taste like, Gray? It, it was just like having a normal chocolate. Really? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. maybe I ought to go look at somebody in my neighborhood 3D printing chocolates because I'm all out right now. Duh. Okay. Uh, right after the show, before my next one, I'm in search of 3D printed chocolate on Long Island's North Shore. I may be back in time for the next show, and I may not. Gray Scott, thanks for the smile. We're going to look at some notes that you sent me before the show, Gray. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at some interesting things here. You say right now we have a Star Wars economy, an economy that's based on scale. Scarcity, paywalls, and resource hoarding. It sounds so from Dungeons era here. And you say, however, innovations in technologies like automation and what we're talking about, 3D printing, could create an economy more like Star Trek, enabling us to explore our creativity and our dreams. So talk to me about Star Wars versus Star Trek. Give me a little, give us a little uh, continuum span here, Gray. Well, it's interesting because when you look at the mythology and, and the story of Star Wars, what, what you're really dealing with is, is resource hoarding, right, whether that's information um, or raw materials. And when you look at Star Trek, what you're looking at is, is a future where people are able to pursue their dreams. And most of those dreams in Star Trek was, you know, taking voyages and, and exploring the cosmos. Now, I would prefer to live in a future that is more like Star Trek, and I'm sure most of us, if we've seen both of these shows, would prefer that as well. Not just from an economic point of view, but just as a lifestyle. I mean, don't we want the freedom to pursue our dreams? Or do we want to get up every day and work in a job that we're not satisfied with? I mean, that's the question that decentralization sort of presents to us is, what does the future of work look like? What does the future of business look like? And so the difference between those two is, is obvious when you have companies like SpaceX, you have companies like Planetary Resources. That uh, Planetary Resources is a company that says that we should be mining asteroids, near-Earth asteroids. It sounds fantastical, but this is something that's going to happen. Why shouldn't we pursue the cosmos as a place of resource? And so do we really want a Star Wars type of economy out in space, or do we want a Star Trek economy in space? Very interesting. Timo Elliott, why don't you join this interesting conversation? What's your preference, Star Wars or Star Trek? 
Sadly, I think that Star Wars is going to be with us for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually an economist by training. Uh, they call it the dismal science for a reason. Uh, economists tend not to be super optimistic. Uh, yes, there's absolutely things that have changed, and um, there's various books out there on the market talking about the near-zero marginal cost of things like information. But, sorry, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I... Um, I Things are still going to stay scarce for quite a while. Mm, okay, we're on a little bit of a downer here. Frank, Diana, you have to join this uh, interesting conversation. Well, I mean, scarcity is obviously an interesting topic. Industries like the metals and mining industry really focused here. Uh, and if you think about the number of folks that joined the middle class between now and 2030, five, five billion in the middle class between now and then, you, know, you, you could get really worried about things like scarcity. And, and nanotechnologies and other things that emerge to help us here obviously do emerge sometime, but to Timo's point, who knows, who knows when, that is, when that is. So the scarcity to abundance discussion is a good one, and I do think over time we, we get there, but the timeline is uncertain. Hmm. Great. Talk to me. Thoughts? Agree with your co-panelists? Disagree? Uh, I disagree, actually. I mean, good. This, is one of the things, <laughs> this is one of the things that I'm trying to make a point in my work about is that we, we, we teach our children to stop dreaming, and, and that's such a shame, and I think that happens a lot in, in the business world as well. We, we, we teach this idea of letting go of aspirational, um, reaching for aspirations instead of being realistic. And I think, you know, look at what we're doing now. I mean, we, were, we are reversing age in mice. You know, at this point, I mean, these are the kinds of technologies that we have today. And so if you said 15 or 20 years ago, we're going to be able to reverse the age of any mammal on this planet, people would have said that sounds like science fiction, but it's happening today. So we need to start embracing the impossible because it is becoming possible. This is, this is one of the main messages that I hope people hear on the show is that the kids that are in their rooms creating these robots, they believe they can do it. Hey, Bonnie? They do. Yes, go ahead. Hey, Frank, just wanted to chime in. First of all, I, I, I couldn't agree more with the aspirational size of what, what Grace talking about. And if you think about what I said earlier, exponential progression and things happening at a pace that we never envisioned, and the Genome Project is a great example of that, where folks thought it was going to take 700 years, and at the exponential pace it took seven, uh, I, I think that that logic and that exponential pace does get to some of the things that Grace talking to. I, my point being that the timelines here are unpredictable. There's so many potential obstacles in the way, whether it's regulatory, geopolitical, et cetera, et cetera, that you have to factor in. It's just tough to predict. Okay. Timo, anything you want to add to this, or Gray, want to come back to what Frank just added? Well, I'm, I actually always marvel at, um, at the world today. I mean, I see my daughter using the, uh, her uh, hand-me-down uh, tablet, and she can have access to all of the information in all of the world's libraries in the world, and um, and she mostly uses it to watch cat videos and send messages to her friends. Um, it's always a dilemma that the world is fantastic. What we can do is unbelievable, but at the end of the day, we don't really step up to the opportunities a lot of the time. Good point. Or we're not ready to, we're just not ready. It's a level of maturity or priorities or what your day is like or what you're immersed in. She'll get there. She'll get there. Timo, I want to talk and, to and you. I have um, to say, I, I, grew up, I grew up with yes. the promise of a nuclear fusion just around the corner. And <laughs> it, took, 
you know, it was a good decade before I gave up and realized that, uh, you know, we wouldn't get that flying hover car in my lifetime, sadly. And, and Timo, you probably remember, as I do, not that long ago, we were talking about a paperless society. Hello. I'm still throwing out <laughs> uh, heaping uh, piles of mail all the time. We are probably selling more shredders than ever before because we are even farther now from paperless. But I digress. Anybody want to comment on that, by the way, Gray or Frank, on on uh, the wishful thinking of those of us from a, a previous era who thought things were going to happen and those innovations didn't? Gray, Frank, any comments on what yeah. Timo just said? Yeah, this is Frank. I, I would say that the conservative predictions of the past, uh, I think we're going to make the mistake of being too conservative in our predictions because, again, of the exponential mm-hmm. exponential nature of the world. So uh, if you, there's so many examples of predictions that were just so poorly uh, done because of the conservative view. If we don't view it from an exponential perspective and, and predict based on what's coming in the future, I think we're going to be very off in our, in our predictions. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Timo Elliott, I have to tell you that uh, Dean Pappas just tweeted. He said he's agreeing with you with great technology. We send cat videos, <clears throat> excuse me, or selfies, his 14-year-old daughter. So th- there you go. You are not alone, Dad. Okay, Timo, I'm looking at your notes. This is an interesting, I think it's an interesting uh way of looking at what we've been talking about. You say disruption can be very painful if you're not the one doing the disrupting. And let me add to that. You also say a lot of the pain of disruption is psychological. It's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you are not. Companies need to stop focusing energy on fighting the old and instead nurturing the new. And this also talking about it may mean threatening your existing product lines. Let's get down to the core of what we're talking about here in terms of existing traditional companies' reactions to this disruption from a psychological standpoint. Timo, you want to explain for us? Well, certainly, yeah. So there's absolutely the decentralization going on, a lot of disruption. So what should companies do? I mean, a big part of it is going back to their core. When people are trying to change the game, the first thing you have to do is figure out what game you're actually playing. And one of the best ways to deal with disruption is to go, is to imagine what you would do if you started from scratch. If you were a startup and you had to compete with your own organization using all the latest technology, what would you actually do? How would you completely rethink your supply chain, your customer model? And a big part of that is really focusing on what you really do for your customers. What is it that they get out of their relationship with you. And often it's more than just a simple, you know, making a product and selling it to them. Um, And we're seeing a lot of companies go through that process of trying to rethink what it is that they're actually selling. Interesting. Frank, Diana, talk. You know, I... I don't think there's ever been a time in history where companies are looking at their core competence and assets in very different ways. So I see a lot of examples in various industries where uh, taking stock of of what you do well and understanding where you can monetize those assets or competencies in other ways. And so if you take a look at, for example, the emerging ecosystems around the smart home or the connected car and all kinds of examples, connected healthcare, where non-traditional players want to play, and can bring capability into those ecosystems, then who would have thought? And so it's not just necessarily what you're good at in the past, but what is it that you can do in the future where you can add value in ways that you might never have dreamed of? Interesting. Gray Scott, talk think, to me. Oh, Frank, Timo, go ahead, please. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to give a concrete example. So car companies, for example, um, they've been selling cars for you know a century now. 
But now their competitors are completely different. If you're a BMW or Mercedes, you really have to think what it is that you're selling. BMW talks about selling a driving experience. The comp- competition is now people like Uber. I can just call up a, a taxi anytime I want it with one click on my smartphone. Why do I even need to buy a car? Here in Paris, there's an electric car on every street corner that I can take, swipe my card, grab it, drive a few miles and drop it off. These are the new competitors, and you really have to think, again, what, they, what is the service that they're providing. They're certainly not in the service of selling pieces of metal anymore. Interesting. Uh, Grace Scott, love to hear your thoughts on this one. What are people really selling? What is the point of these products that are out there? Do they know? Well, it's a great, yeah, it's a great question we should all be asking ourselves, um, not just so much about what we're selling, but what is the point of our existence, right? What do each of us in our individual lives, what do we bring to the table? And it's not about customers. It's not about supply chains. It's really about, in this new technological age, it's about what does the benefit of my presence bring to this planet, right? If we start thinking on that kind of scale, that is going to change the world. And you hear this in startups all the time. We want to change the world. We want to change the world. And to do that, we have to change our language. Part of the language is a sharing economy, right? We've been hearing about sharing economy. You know, in New York City right now, there are uh, the Citibank or the City Ride uh, bicycles. They're everywhere, right? Ten years ago, if you said that to people, they would have said, no way. New York would never embrace this idea that you could share bicycles in New York City. And now it's happening. And the same thing is going to happen with cars. I mean, Uber is already here. But wait until we have self-driving cars where you can just order the self-driving car to pick you up at any time. What's the point of owning cars? And I keep looking at car companies saying, where where are you? <laughs> have you missed the memo? I mean, come on. And let me, let me just say this quickly, too. Um, I, I said to a lot of people, if you're not working with a futurist in your company right now, you're already behind the game. I mean, a futurist's job is to come in and say to you, let's embrace what is possible, right? Forget what we've known, because these startups are showing us that everything that we've known is wrong, that it can be broken, and that technology is going to change the paradigm. And so we have to start asking ourselves, when you're sitting at home and you see a commercial on television, does that look like the future? Because the future is here, and so we have to embrace that. I have a question for you, Gray, excuse me, from Dean Pappas here on Twitter. And we've got Brad Borkin, I have to tell you, I've never seen such an active Twitter party going on. I don't know how you did it, but we've got about a dozen people just banging out those tweets, and I'm having trouble keeping up with with hosting and retweeting at the same time. But question, I believe, for Gray Scott from um, Dean Pappas. He says, how does the average person participate in a visionary future? Before we move on, Gray, you want to address that for Dean, please? Sure. I think the first way is to start start embracing uh, the vision of the future that you want instead of the, the future that people have told you that you can have. That's the most important thing. Because we get those messages all the time. We've gotten them since we were, you know, we were children. Um, you know, we all start out wanting to be astronauts and look what happens. And so my, my point is, is that you have to visualize first the life that you want, the business that you want, the startup that you want. And from that point, you work towards creating it. If you start out of the gate saying, well, I have to be realistic and here are these problems, you never know. Entering the impossible 
there are there are people that do it all the time. Why can't you? Mm-hmm. Right? We have to ask ourselves that. Okay. Thoughts from Frank Oratimo on the question we just posed to Greg? Yeah, it's, it's Frank, and, and I completely wholeheartedly agree with uh, what Greg just said. Well, well said. Okay. Timo, anything before I move back to some notes from Frank? I I'm, found something I'm a we huge, didn't cover. I'm a huge believer in creativity. People should absolutely need to be rethinking the boundaries of what is possible. At the same time, reality is not such a bad thing. It, it, we would not have a great world if we were all grew up to be astronauts. So at, at some point, getting closer to reality doesn't sound like such a bad deal to me. Interesting. Will there be nobody here on the ground to wave goodbye and wave when they left and wave hello when they <laughs> landed, Timo? So, you know, some of us are going to stay here, and I'm volunteering to be the one and only. If that's it, I'll just keep doing radio by, I don't know, micro radio waves. So I'll get you all. Don't worry when you're on the moon. Okay. Frank, Diana, we have a few minutes. Actually, we have a lot of time. Uh, I have to compliment my three panelists on a very exciting and very energizing conversation. I'm enjoying it, and I know our listeners are, because I can see the tweets just pouring in, and thank you. That's a good sign. So, Frank, Diana, you sent me such copious notes, and I'm finding a couple of names here I'd like to talk about. You say, famous economist Jeremy Rifkin believes we're moving closer to a zero marginal cost society where our notion, current notion of work changes dramatically. But let me add this note. Too. Andrew McAfee, in his work on the second machine age, believes we're heading toward a world where people will no longer need to work. I'll stop there. Talk to me about the age where we want, what will we be doing, according to McAfee and Frank Diana? Thoughts? <laughs> and General Rifkin and others. Uh, <laughs> yes. So this whole notion of work and, and it going away, and we have a lot of free time on our hands to pursue those things, those dreams that we want to pursue, whether it's uh, music composition or poetry or wh- whatever it is that, that our passion, where our passions lie, our ability to do so because the need to work disappears. Uh, whether it's you know automation that that Gray talks to or whatever, uh, the the fact that everything costs just about zero dollars to purchase, we, we're in a world of abundance. All those things add up to a world where you don't have to work. Uh, and so there's this notion of a living wage provided in that world, and anything else you make is you know gravy on top of that. And who knows how that plays out in terms of how you sustain that world. But uh, this notion of uh, not having to work is a growing notion. And I know Gray probably spends a lot of time there. Gray, you've been called. You've been summoned. Talk to us. (laughs) Well, I I do spend a lot of time in that world and visualizing that world. And and one of the questions that I've been asking people to ask themselves is, what does the future look like if we enter an age where money is pointless? Now, that is a huge huge statement when you think about world economy, governments, you know, how do governments last and how do they take care of their people if they can't collect tax? How does how do how do corporations stay in existence if, if the monetary system collapses? But we saw things like Bitcoin disrupt the world economy in many ways. And 3D printing has the capability to disrupt the manufacturing process. Here's another thing that, that I've been thinking about too is Think about the Apple iWatch and how that device is, is the primary stage in becoming your own doctor, right? Becoming your own healthcare, uh, making healthcare efficient and bringing it into the home. For example, you know, let's say something happens to you and you need to have an X-ray. There's a whole process that you have to go through to get that X-ray. You have to go to your doctor, then he gets you a prescription. You have to go to another location. Instead, in the future, we're going to have machines and technologies 
built into our smart homes in the future that do those things for us. And so huge portions of the economy will be wiped out because of technology. And so if we can 3D print, like we've talked about uh, earlier in the show, if we can 3D print our basic needs, if we can 3D print our clothing, our food, our houses, what are we working for at that point? It, do you need a million dollars if the things that, you, that cost you a million dollars can be printed in a 3D printer? Hmm. When do you, well, you're the futurist. When do you think that will happen, Gray? Is it going to happen in, not in my lifetime, maybe yours? I don't know. Uh, do we have a date for this when we can print our houses and our cars and everything on a 3D printer? And who will own the 3D printers? Will we rent time? Will we buy, buy time like in a cyber cafe or like we, uh, I don't know, will, will, will this be part of the shared economy or will every house, quote unquote, have a 3D printer and then you'll print the house you really wanted in the first place. Any thoughts? Well, I, I do think that 3D printing, all the things that we've mentioned on the show so far are happening today. Now, whether they're in the Kickstarter process or the prototype process, all of those things are available today. There's a company that's printing fabric today. There's, as I said, Chef Jet is printing cakes and chocolates. And you have companies now that are producing um, additive manufacturing into building homes as well. So, the processes are there in your lifetime already. But the, the stage that we have to get to next is making this technology available to the masses. And really, once you can send, digitally send the uh, process to another 3D printer to print another 3D printer, that allows anyone who is generous, and I think a lot of people are generous, mm-hmm. uh, to, to print a printer for someone else, right? I mean... If Tom's Shoes, that's a great business model. If Tom's Shoes can do it, so why can't we create a company where if you buy a 3D printer, that person who buys a 3D printer says, I will print another 3D printer and send it to someone else for free. Why can't we do that? And imagine what that does to the system. Imagine what that does to our economy when we do that. Interesting. Timo, chime in or Frank? I want to hear more from the other panelists. Thoughts on what Gray just shared? Uh, well, let me let me chime in on the book. So, if I had a recommendation, it would be the second machine machine age from McAfee. Um, Jeremy Rifkin's book, personally, I didn't find very convincing. I found it very comp- uh, repetitive. He has more of agenda. Um, he argues persuasively that in the economy of tomorrow, the portion of the economy that's taken up by the commons, people sharing things rather than buying and selling things, will get much bigger. And I think he's very convincing in that area. But the jump from there to utopia was too much of a stretch for me. Um, McAfee's book talks more sort of directly, maybe nearer term, about some of the things that are going to, going to happen to employment, especially of lower-skilled workers, under some of these conditions coming along, and uh, it might be very disruptive and uh, cause some problems in society. But they're, they're both worth reading. They both will help you think about the world in a different way. We've just had a book review. That may be our first on Digital World with Game Changers. Thank you, Timo. I appreciated that. Uh, Frank, Diana, since these were books you recommended or you mentioned in your notes, you want to uh, counter or you agree, disagree with Timo? And then I want to hear what Gray has to say. But we're almost ready for our predictions round. I'm going to save one minute for each of you. But, Frank, any comments on the book review we just spontaneously heard? 
Yeah, I, I think the Jerry Rifkin book, you, you do need to really kind of think out of the box and, as Gray said, really not being inhibited in, in terms of your thought because he, he talks about a post-capitalism world. He talks about the fact that what's happened in, in the media industry happens to every industry, and so everything is close to zero marginal cost to reproduce it. And in that world, it's a clearly a different world. So I was, I was a fan of his book. I, I thought it was very thought-provoking, and, and the, the McAfee book was also very good. Okay, Gray, quickly, just 30 seconds on comments on the book review. Agree or disagree with the two reviewers? Well, I mean, we have to look at both sides of the coin anytime we're, we're entering uh, this new age, right? We have to think about what uh, technology is doing for us and not to us. That's the point of all of this. Um, you know, the farmer didn't say uh, in the early 1800s, what, it, what will this tractor do to me? <laughs> he said, what will this tractor do for me? And so that's what disruption is about. What will disruption do for us? Okay. Guess what? Predictions time. Frank, Diana, you're a pro at this. You've been on the show a couple times. I'm just going to say I like the year 2020. You don't have to. What year, day, month, week, hour, second, or minute are you predicting? I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds. If we met again at that future time, what would we be talking about in terms of decentralizing and futurism? Everything we've discussed. Frank, Diana, 60 seconds. Go. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to focus on 2025. And okay. I will, will say that between now and then, this whole notion of decentralization will play out on an aggressive level. And I would look to the developing economies as the place where you see a lot of this play out and then embraced by the develop, uh, developed world because they don't have the legacy that we do, the infrastructure that we do to, to kind of inhibit them. So I predict that you'll see a lot of progress in decentralization in, in developed economies, developing economies. I also believe that because of some of what I said earlier, the five billion in the middle class uh, and that emerging markets is where a lot of these people will reside, you'll see a lot of emerging market companies hit the Fortune 500 between now and 2025. Uh, I also predict that there's going to be a movement towards these horizontal ecosystems that I mentioned before as dominant structures and, and sort of kind of blurring the boundaries even more aggressively across these industries that we've we've grown up with. Uh, and I'd say last but not least, um, I think you're going to see the uberfication of corporate uh, shift from the mm. asset-heavy, centralized command and control structures that they're used to to more of an asset-light, decentralized set of structures. Thank you very much. Let's go 60 seconds predictions real fast. Gray Scott, you're up. I agree with that uberfication of uh, corporate um, systems. I mean, I, I, I do believe by 2025 that's a, a good range that you're going to see major corporations that we thought were untouchable um, having major, major problems um, because the startups are bubbling up and these kids who are creating the disruptive decentralizing technologies are going to be hitting the market and it's going to change the world as we know it. Thank you very much. I think we're ready for that, whether we're in business or not. I certainly am. This is exciting. Timo Elliott, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Go. In 2025, capitalism will be alive and well, as will scarcity for some types of goods. Um, But most organizations will move away from selling things to selling a wider range of connected services. Companies themselves will start shrinking as you can start doing a lot more with far fewer employees as the people can uh, interact in different ways across traditional company boundaries. 
Thank you very much. I've just barely got enough time to, I don't think we've ever had a tweet party, Twitter party, this active on any of our shows. So I have to say thank you to Frank Diana. You've been tweeting and talking most miraculously. Thank you. Brad Bork, and we've got TCS, SAP Alliance, Kevin Mulcahy, newcomer. Thank you. Dean Pappas, good to see you back. Karen Geraldo, always good to see you. David Kish, welcome. Melanie Alvarez, welcome to our Twitter party here. And Dira Bintang, thank you very much. And Anya Reshke, if I missed anybody, well, just send me a note and say, Bonnie, mention me on the air next time. This has been a most interesting conversation. I'm doing a shout-out to Brad Borkin at SAP. If you don't invite Frank Diana, Grace Scott, and Timo Elliott back for a part two on Digital World, I'm pulling them over to Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship series with our biggest global audience, because this conversation needs to have a part two and maybe a part three this year. So I'm warning my panelists, you'll get an invitation from me. Brad pulls you back. I'll get you over for part three on my show anyway. Uh, I'll be back in one hour right here on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio with another interesting conversation on game-changing women radio. Today we're talking about gender pay equality. That's going to be another lively conversation. Frank Diana, Ray Scott, Timo Elliott, extraordinary conversation. Thank you for your energy, your insights, your future looks, and all of your savvy everything and your expertise. Brad Borkin, thanks for arranging this panel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks also to Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. We're out of time. I'll be back in an hour. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.